So we've been in the, the letter of James. We're working our way through the entire letter this summer. And I think this is like our sixth week in the letter of James. We've gotten down to uh, verse 19. So we're, we're making our way a little bit slow, not too slow. We're going to start to speed up here in just a few weeks. But let me catch you up to where we're at by just explaining who James is. James is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and he was not a Christian while his brother was alive on the earth. In fact, he was one of the brothers that thought his brother Jesus was a little bit loony and kind of nuts, and they, they tried to restrain him at one point because they thought he was out of his mind for what he was doing and what he was saying. It wasn't until after the resurrection, when he saw his brother alive, after his brother was dead, that he was like, oh, okay, well, I, I thought you were dead, and now we're eating breakfast on the beach together, so I'm going to believe in everything you just said. I'm going to worship you as God. That is James. His nickname is called James the Just. He, he was known for, um, for his integrity, for the way he lived his life, and he is the guy who writes one of the earliest Christian um, New Testament letters. The letter that we're reading was written about 40 AD by James. In the first part of the letter, we know that this letter is written to early Christians who are spread out all over the regions, living not really together in a community, but who are kind of spread out because of the things that they faced, the persecution, the trials, and the, uh, just the violence they faced for following Jesus Christ. So this is who James is. Now, looking ahead to the end of his life, James does die about 60, 62 AD, because uh, the people who didn't like him, mainly the, the Jewish authorities and things like that, um, killed him by throwing stones at him until he was dead. So James went to his death believing who Jesus was and what Jesus did. He believed everything that his brother did, meaning his death and resurrection. James went to the grave, never denying it, 100% sold that his brother was God. That was the life of James. But before that happens, he writes a letter, and this is the letter we've been working our way through. We call it a practical guide to this thing called life. Now, if you think of a story or a letter that you write or an essay or, or any sort of books that you read, they kind of have a flow to them, don't they? Depending on the genre, maybe it's sci-fi, maybe it's a novel, maybe it's a biography. James, when you read his letter, seems to be kind of all over the place. He's not, there's not really a consistent way that he writes. People a long time ago, some of the, the early church people, let's say five, six hundred years ago, said that they had no idea what James was after. It just looks like he was throwing words at the page. That's all he was doing was just dumping a bunch of information out. And it's been really hard to figure out the flow of thought. Now, James writes from a perspective of wisdom. There's another book in your Bible called Proverbs, and that book is kind of categorized as a wisdom literature, wisdom book. Meaning if you, if you, if you live this way, if you live life a certain way, if you do these certain things, normally this is going to be the outcome you experience. And that was sort of the first five weeks. You know, it was do these things, and this is what you can experience. Don't do these things, and... You can experience the negative of that decision. Now, James works his way now to talking about the word that he's been so eagerly discussing with his people. And so this morning, we're going to read three verses. We're going to read verses 19, 20, and 21. So go ahead and look at your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, it should be on the Bible in the sky behind me. You can go ahead and follow along with that. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Here's the, here's the big idea 
that I want us to get. It's the big idea. It's the application. It's the all in all for today. We're going to say it over and over again. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We're going to keep talking about that over and over and over again for the next 134 minutes. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Um, there is a story about a guy falling asleep in church. Now, I don't think it's all bad because sometimes we're tired. I mean, he did, you know, he fell and almost died. So that, that'd be a warning to you. But um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's July. It's, it's okay. All right. Um, but I'm glad you're here. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. I cannot think of a, of a more important statement that we not only should understand, but a statement we should actually live out every single day of our lives in this statement right here. As far as relationship goes, if you think about the types of relationships we have, uh, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, mother, father, daughter, son, grandparents, work relationships, friend relationships, James says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. See, what he's doing is he is describing the duty of a Christian. James is writing to the early Christian community. And he says, conduct yourself in this way. This is very important for you to do. If you're here today and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, James is providing you with a very practical way to grow in your relationship with God. Two parts, grow in your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. You see, these three little phrases really can extend to any relationship that you have, starting with our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with one another. And that's really how we're going to break up the message this morning. First, we're going to talk about how these verses affect our horizontal relationships. The person sitting next to you, the person you came here with today, the person you're not with today because you've been not quick to listen very fast to speak, and quick to anger. See, if you do the reverse, it takes a little while. So let's say that person didn't come with you today because you're just really mean. Well, you're in luck because you're going to be equipped to walk back out, ask for forgiveness, and maybe try a different path next time. So the first part of the message is going to be talking about how this affects our horizontal relationship. And then the, the end, the last part of the message is going to be what James intends this to do with our vertical relationship to God. So let's first talk about the, hor- uh, the horizontal interactions, the, the everyday relationship, the relational interactions that we have. Now, I think we have all experienced that in this life, maintaining relationships is hard. Can I get like a, like a yes, agree? Yeah. Say, I agree. Good, now you're not going to fall asleep. Relate, maintaining relationships, that is a hard thing. It's a very hard thing. And it actually doesn't matter what type of relationship it is. See, so often we forget that if we want a friend, we have to be a friend. So often we forget that if we want to have a loving husband, we ought to be a kind and loving wife. Or if we want a loving wife, we ought to be a kind and loving husband. Or if we we want to have a good relationship at work, we ought to be someone who's easy to work with. Maintaining relationships is so very hard. And I don't need to spend much time convincing you of that. I think as I was saying that, you guys were shaking your heads and going, yeah, you know, it's, it's that other person though. Hold on, we'll get to you. All right. We know that maintaining relationships is hard. Maintaining relationships are hard. Whatever you are, if you're the grammar police, tell me later. And this can be for many reasons. And and here's why I think we damage our relationships, why maintaining them is hard. Because we are quick to speak, we're slow to listen, and we're quick to get angry. 
How many are like, mm, yep, that's me. I've done that. Yeah, thank you. There are seasons that we go through life and when listening takes a back seat to speaking. We want to be heard first before we actually listen. There are seasons when anger is our default response to quite literally anything. It doesn't matter what it is. This can happen for all sorts of reasons, but for the most common reason, it's because our relationship has gone sideways. Somebody has wronged us. Somebody has done something that we don't agree with, so we're going to be very quick to tell them why they're wrong, why I am right, and I'll do it while looking angry, so I get all those things covered. And then you say, I'm not angry while your vein is popping and your forehead is red. You will actually say, I'm not angry at all. Okay, well, why do you look like you want to hurt me? But no matter what season of life you're in, no matter what you have done walking in here this morning, the relationship that you damaged before you came in here this morning, because we have all done it, father of five, husband of one, and I have a dog, I get some impatient sometimes. I drop the ball. I want to be known as a dad who is, a, who is always asking for forgiveness because I need it. No matter the season of life you're in today, no matter the circumstances that define your life this morning, I do believe Because this is the word of God. God wants you to hear this. That these words, these three verses have the power to to reshape your perspective on your relationship. And in turn, they have the power to reshape the way you live your life. Let every person be quick to listen. Which is a weird way to put that. Quick. Stop. Slow down and listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Here's the deal. This is why this is important. Because you, like me, Imagine writing this message and having to say it. Like, I felt bad the entire time, right? It's like God was saying, man, you're so wicked. I know. So I had to write it and I got to share it with you. But here's the deal. We all want to be heard. Isn't that true? We all want to be heard and we all want to be understood. I think that is a common thing that everybody here wants. I don't think anybody would raise their hand and say, I don't care if anybody hears me or understands me. I could care less. You're lying. Okay, you think that, but you don't live like that. We all want to be heard. No matter the type of relationship, we all want to be heard and we all want to be understood. And we know that because most time, and when a relationship has gone sideways and we're in the middle of that argument, here are the phrases that we'll say, I don't think you're hearing me. Have you said that before? I've said that. I'm glad my wife is downstairs with the children this morning. I just have to listen later. Or, I don't think you understand what I am saying. Have you said that before? Or, you're not listening to me. No, you're listening. You just ain't hearing, right? Then it goes to, you know, it even gets worse than that. And that type of back and forth can go on for hours in a conversation or in an argument because we are not good listeners. We listen just long enough until when that person goes, to take a breath, we get to interject what we think. All you're doing is being patient enough so you can actually say what you want to say. It feels good. Feels good to light someone up with a vein popping out in your neck, and then you're saying, Well, I'm not angry, I just gotta tell you that. Well, you look angry. We listen long enough until our anger is out of control, and then we just begin to speak. This is because our default is to be a people who are quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger. Now, whether you're a Christian in the room today, if you're not a Christian in the room today, I mean, every Sunday we have people who are on either side of the spectrum. We have people who are following Jesus. We have people who are maybe uh, researching Jesus for the first time, not yet convinced that Jesus is God. Listen, these are people problems, regardless of where you're at in life. We all have this problem. This is not a Christian or non-Christian problem. 
Now, James isn't writing these words because he just can't stand how impatient and inconsiderate the Christian church is. I think it's much more than that. See, he's writing these words as a warning. He's warning us that we will become hard-hearted, impatient, nasty people who other people do not want to be associated with. If we are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to anger, if that is your default, your relationships will crumble at every level. That will be the result. And also it's important to add that I think James is writing this to these people because he is aware that Jesus taught the two greatest commandments. There's a time where somebody came up and they tried to trick Jesus and they said, listen, we know all the Old Testament. We know everything that God has already spoken to his people. All on this side of the Bible, that's all your Old Testament. It's, think of it as like preparing us for Jesus. And the New Testament is rejoicing that he's here. Okay? That's how your Bible is divided out. The first part that's really old and hard to understand, that's preparing us for Jesus. Everything points to him. Everything is about him. James knows that his brother is Jesus. And he knows that when Jesus was alive... He was tested by some people who were really smart. And they said, what do you think like the most important law is? And Jesus says, there are two things that you need to understand. Here's the two greatest commandments that you can do. Everything in life can be boiled down to these two things, he says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. That's what he calls everybody to. Love God with everything that you have. Give him your all in every aspect of your life. And the second is like it. Here's the second. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So if we were to follow Jesus and become more like him, we need to heed the warning. We need to look at the warning that James gives us, knowing that relationally we kind of need this warning. We need this reminder. And also, if we actually don't live in this way, we're not following one of the greatest commandments. We are not loving people as much as we love ourselves. And what do we want for ourselves? We've already explained it. We want to be heard. We want to be heard. So what's one, one way you can start loving people as much as you love yourself? You can actually start listening to them, like truly slowing down, becoming quick. So it's a weird word, way to put it, being quick to listen. In our experience, in my experience, I think we would all understand everybody just wants to be heard and they want to be understood. So if you want to be heard, be someone who hears. Write that down. If I want to be heard, I better be someone who actually hears people. If you want to be understood, if you want to be understood, be someone who seeks to understand. Because if you're on the opposite side of the table for me, and I am not convinced that you're actually listening or care or even understand me, what good is it for me to keep speaking to you? It doesn't matter. You're only waiting to come back. So let's try an experiment. Let's say you're like, ah, I don't understand. Like, like, I think I want to be heard, but I don't know where you're getting at. I have some, have some objections. Let's do a little experiment, personal experiment. Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but here you go. Have you ever said, I have no idea why that person would do that? Have you ever said that to yourself? I have no idea why they did that. Why would they do that? I have no idea why that would happen. First of all, you're in good company because we've all thought that before. So welcome to church. But you see, in saying that phrase, I have no idea what they would do that, you're actually admitting to the first thing that you actually need to do. Did you hear it? I have no idea why they would do that. What do you think the first thing you should do if you have no idea why somebody did something is? Speak to them or listen? Listen. 
So you just admitted, I, have, I don't know. So tell me, tell me what just happened in this situation because I have no idea. See, what happens is we say, I have no idea, but everything you just read is completely wrong. Well, hold on a minute. You just said you didn't understand why I did that. So why don't you take a moment to listen? And James says, we are to be quick to listen. Be quick to listen and figure out why they did the very thing you just admitted, not knowing why they did. At this point, there's really no other option. Just admitted to not knowing. So because you do not know, ask questions to help you understand. That's your first step. Ask questions to help you understand when a relationship goes sideways. Instead of being quick to speak and giving people all the reasons why they're wrong, why don't you first align yourself with what you just said, I don't know why, and slow down and ask questions to help you understand why. See, this starts to reshape the way we interact with one another. Ask yourself questions that will help you understand. Because when you ask questions, you are slow to speak your opinion and quick to listen to what's being said by the other person. Also, I will add, this, this protects you from a sinful, quick, and dangerous response of anger. Slow down, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because why? Why? Because we are commanded to love our neighbors just as much as we love ourselves. And that does not only have to do with feeding people and being a friend to people and loving people and being nice to them. It's about treating them the way you want to be treated. Isn't that right? So if you want to be heard, be someone who hears. If you want a friend, you got to be a friend. If you want a healthy relationship, you got to act like you want a healthy relationship. Now, before you say, well, John, I... You have no idea, though. Like, I get it, right? Like, God is God, and he says some stuff in the Bible. But you really have no idea what I have to live with. I'm, like, on another level, okay? I'm on a whole other level. Like, God didn't write about what's going on in my relationships. Listen, you need to realize that these are people problems. This has the, the impact and the power to reshape the way you deal with things. Also, Here's something else I'll say. When somebody does something who says something, I want you to realize that they are fully convinced they're doing and saying the right thing. Have you ever thought about that? See, when you look at someone and say, I don't know why they would do that, please understand, regardless of what you think, or if it is right or wrong, there's an opportunity to speak into that later. The person who is doing something or saying something, I need you to realize they said it and they did it because they were fully convinced it's the right thing to do. People aren't just like, well, that's the worst decision I'm ever going to make, but I just can't wait to make it. You, I mean, we don't operate that way. People are fully, sometimes we do. Quite clearly, this row up here does. Now, we are fully convinced. People are fully convinced that when they do something, that was the right thing to do. And what's your response? I don't know why you would do that. So what's your first step? Slow down and listen. I believe as a church, we can get a hold of this truth as a people. As a people, as a church, as God's people. Man, if we were quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, could you imagine the type of reputation a church would have? Right? We are all aware of those Christians who make our job really hard. Aren't we all aware of them? Guess what? I'm one of them. All right? So all you were like, yeah, I know them. Like, you're it too. Okay? There's nobody perfect in this place. That's why everyone is welcome here and no one's perfect. That's why we started this church. We all make the mission of Jesus harder. We're all guilty of it. But 
What if we got a hold of this truth that we operated differently than everybody else around us because we were called to something more. We were called to love people as, just as much as we love ourselves, which is not the normal way of the world. That's not what it is. People who do not follow Jesus, people who do not worship Jesus as Lord and Savior, people who are not connected to a local church, spoiler alert, they will not act as if they are, just so you're aware. If you do not follow Jesus as Lord, if you are not a Christian, then let me tell you, this church does not expect you to act as though you are a Christian. So why would we be quick to speak Slow to listen and quick to anger at the things that are happening around us. I can read that again. People who are not following Jesus, people who do not worship him as as Lord, people who do not believe in that God is God, people who are not connected to a local church will not live in a way in which they do. They act that way. They just won't. That's going to be normal. So, Here's a couple of things for you. If that is true, and if people are fully convinced in all the things that they're saying and all the things that they're doing, that they are the right thing, we have no reason to be that quick to throw judgment that way and speak in their existence without even understanding why they're doing what they're doing. So here's a few, few things you can do. This One, stop treating them as if they should act a certain way. So this is what we do as Christians really, really easy. Okay? This is what we do. There's a story about a man named Zacchaeus, and he was kind of a crook. I mean, kind of. He was a crook, Okay? trying to be nice. I guess I'm too nice sometimes. He was crooked. He was stealing from people. And Jesus shows up to this guy. He says, hey, I'm coming to your house and we're going to have dinner. And Jesus, Zacchaeus invites all his crooked friends over and they have a meal together. And all religious people stood outside and said, I can't believe Jesus is eating with that guy. Does, does Jesus know who that guy is? Man, he's wicked. We don't like him. So when we read that story, we realize we are Zacchaeus and we're so thankful that God wants to come and eat with us, right? We're thankful. Guess what happens 30 days after we realize that? We don't want to go back to Zacchaeus' house either. See how quick that happens to us? We actually think we're that much better than people who are not here today. We think we're that much better than people who have not responded to God's grace and are following Jesus Christ. And we treat them as if they should or they are. They're not. Number two, remember what God saved you from. So number one, stop treating people and being so quick to speak into their lives without ever listening to why they're doing what they're doing. They're convinced they're doing the right thing. Number one, stop treating them as if they're living the life that you are trying to live because most likely they're not. That's the first thing. Number two, remember what God saved you from. Do not forget that you are the down and out the lost, wandering person, the sinful, wicked person that the Bible says you were from birth before God saved you. Never forget that. Never forget the salvation is given to those who can never be good enough to receive it. Everyone is here today and gathered in churches all around the world because of undeserved favor from God. You were not smart enough. You were not good looking enough to earn God's love. We love him because he first loved us. Stop treating people as if they are following Jesus Christ. Remember what God saved you from. And if we are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, maybe, just maybe, people will become interested in the God that we worship. Don't you think? Just imagine if your new default is quick to listen. No longer being quick to give your opinion and then slow to speak. No longer being someone who has all of the answers. 
See, that actually helps you not to become angry when you slow yourself down and you listen because you will no longer live the life of arrogance and pride. Just imagine what this would do for your marriage if you're married here today. Just imagine what that would do for your marriage. If instead of getting ready to reload and unload on whoever your spouse is and whatever they're doing, what if you said, hey, um, just to be completely real with you right now, I'm really upset, okay? See, if you come to our house and you listen to our conversations, you might go, they are weird. But this is what we try to do, okay? Hey, check it out. I'm really mad at you, okay? Help me understand why. Because here's the deal. We often treat people like they already know why. Listen, people don't know why sometimes they make you mad. Sometimes they do. And I, now, let's be honest, right? It's usually me. Uh, it's usually Sherry saying, say, hey, I'm mad at you. Okay, okay. Help me understand what I did. Because right now, I'm not really understanding why you're mad at me. Then I have to be quick to listen to exactly what she's about to say and not defend everything that I just did yesterday, which made her mad. That's not going to be helpful. Imagine what this would do to a relationship. Imagine how, what this would do to our children if we approach them like this. Listen, just because they're four, five, six, two, seven, eleven, thirteen, 13, that doesn't mean we can get on one knee and say, I want to be quick to listen to how I just wronged you. Right? It doesn't matter that you have the power and authority as a parent, right? In that moment, you still should be quick to listen to the children that you just sinned against. Parents are not perfect. If you are not routinely seeking the things that you do wrong to your children, asking for forgiveness, you are teaching your children completely opposite of what the Bible tells us to teach our children. The first real example of the character of God will come from you. It will come from you. So I want to be known in my house as someone who is always asking for forgiveness. Not like the sorry guy, right? You guys know someone like that? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Like you say sorry about everything. Like you walked by someone and you almost touched him. Oh, I'm so sorry. Like we all know people like that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that if I blow up, if I fall short, if I have a temper, if I'm treating my seven-year-old like they're supposed to be 35, right? Because they're kids, let's face it. Kids do kid stuff, just so you're aware. If I do not routinely go to them and say, hey, daddy was wrong, I overreacted. I raised my voice. I should never do that. Daddies don't respond in anger. Will you forgive me? See, I want my kids to go, yeah, my dad was always apologizing. You want to know why I want to do that? Is so they will seek forgiveness from others. And ultimately, it's so they will seek forgiveness from God. If you never show them what it's like to seek forgiveness, how do we expect them to go and allow God to speak into their life and seek his forgiveness? Husbands, wives, parents, friends, this, this is for everyone. When you are faced with a relationship where you are tempted to talk over the person, to just rail them with words, stop and be quick to listen so you first understand how to respond. So here's a little piece of application. Here's what you can do. Here's what I suggest. Um, okay, so when you find yourself in a situation that you don't understand, right? And now you've got to say what's going on. And you're like, okay, I know I need to be quick to listen. And I know I have to be slow to speak. And I have to be slow to anger. So how do I really do that? Okay, here you go. Ask at least three questions. Just do that. You can do two. Ask at least three. And some of you are like, yeah, but if I ask them questions, they'll keep talking. And I don't want to hear what they have to say. Listen, I know. I get it, right? Well, they'll just keep going down another rabbit trail. And then we'll go down another rabbit trail. Listen, quick to listen, 
slow to speak, slow to anger. Ask at least a few questions. The other person has the opportunity to talk. The longer they speak, here, listen to this. The longer they speak, the quicker you are to listen to them speak. The quicker you are to listen to them, the more you will learn, right? So the quicker you listen, the more you learn. And the more you learn about the situation, the slower you will arrive at being angry at the situation. This will protect you from anger that really destroys. I mean, anger is a very dark thing. Anger and bitterness will destroy any relationship. There are not too many relationships that can live under the stress of anger and bitterness. Not very long. My worst parenting moments, my worst husband moments happened when I was quick to speak and slow to listen. Man, my wife knows it. My kids know it. Last night, my 11-year-old son was acting 11, okay? He just was. He was acting 11, and I snapped on him because I had told him the same thing four times from across the room, three rooms away, right? I didn't do my job the first time the right way. Then I got mad at him for not responding the right way. And I could tell that my 11-year-old son went to bed going, jeez, this guy, right? Like, don't want to be like him, right? We don't want that, do we? No. So I came downstairs, sat in my chair. And then I justified all the reasons why I was not going to go back up there and ask for forgiveness from an 11-year-old kid. I can tell you that. I'm the dad. He needs to listen. What's right? I did all those things. Then I was like, man, the Holy Spirit, just, it wasn't me. I'm not any better than you. It was just God going, bro, <laughs> you better fix it. Or he's not going to know anything about my forgiveness. He'll never seek the ultimate forgiveness. So I had to go back up there. I had to say, listen, daddy overreacted. I never should have raised my voice. We've had a great day. I ruined it by putting you to bed in that way. Will you forgive me? People, I am 35 years old. Speaking to an 11-year-old. Asking his forgiveness. And it is tearing me up inside if he will not forgive me. And he goes, yeah, I will, right? I'm like, well, if you were past it, I didn't have to come up here. Just joking, right? (laughs) But that's really what happens. That's what you should do. My worst parenting moments, your worst parenting moments, friendship moments, dating moments, marriage moments happen. Your worst moments happen when you are quick to speak and slow to listen. Because here's why. Let me also add this. I stole this from another guy. I'm not this brilliant, right? You can be right all you want. And we like being right, okay? That's also a people problem, okay? We like being right. Say, I do. Right? The ones who didn't say, I do, you're lying, okay? We all like to be right, but I can write my wife right out of the room. I can write my kids right out of the room. I can be so right that they want nothing to do with me, never come back and visit for Christmas, don't ever want to see, right? They won't ever let me see the grandkids. I'm already thinking 20 years ahead now, okay? So you can write people right out of your life. If that's your goal, if that's your aim, go ahead. You will write people right out of your life. People don't want to be lectured. They want to be understood, They want to be understood. And so when you take the time to understand and you are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger, see, I'm just going to keep it up there all day. When we are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, 
our relationships will start to reshape themselves and reform into a healthy, growing relationships. Because here's why. Even in your relationships, healthy things grow, okay? I think it was last week we already talked about, uh, we don't, what do they call it? The green thumb? Every plant in our house dies, okay? Two days max and it's gone, right? Some of you are like, you don't buy your wife flowers? Look, I can't, okay? I'd rather invest the money in something else because they die in two days. I'll go pick them from your yard. That way I'm not wasting my money. But they will be dead. <laughs> they will die as soon as I put them on the table. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. So you, your aim for your relationships, whether it's marriage, children, friendships, coworker, employer relationships, it doesn't matter what type of relationship, dating relationship, you should be growing Healthy things grow. People don't want to be lectured. They want to be understood. So, right, so think about that as the horizontal effect of these verses, okay? That's, that's how this helps us interact differently with the world around us. This is how this helps us inter- interact differently with our relationships, our neighbors, our, our marriages, our kids, and everything. But was James only writing these instructions to help the relationship community, the Christian community, act better than the world around them, act differently? I'm not convinced. There is a vertical element here that James is calling the church to. And in fact, I even could have put it first in the message. I really could have talked about this first. I don't believe that James was only addressing the person-to-person relationship in the quick-to-listen, slow-to-speak, slow-to-anger. The original audience of this letter also would have thought that this instruction was really in how they related to God and the word that they were receiving. Meaning at the time when this letter was written, the preaching and the teaching of the church, there were no New Testament letters. This was the first one. So when somebody showed up to talk about Jesus Christ, they had to sit and listen. They had to sit. They had to slow down. And they had to listen. They had to be very quick to listen what was being told to them. Because they were receiving instruction as a people. They did not have this stuff written down. They had some of the Old Testament, right? Maybe the entire Old Testament. But nothing new about the person of Jesus. So James addresses an issue that even as a church today we struggle with. Which is this. Accepting the word of God. And when I say the word, I mean the Christian message of salvation through Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on a cross. That's what I mean by word. I mean the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Not the good advice of Jesus Christ, how he can make your life better. The good news that will actually call you to something more and reshape your life, which is he took your place for you. Which means you deserve the judgment of God, but Jesus stood in your place for you and allowed you to go free and live. That's the word that was being taught to them. But in order to receive it and accept it, they must slow down and be quick to listen to the word. They must be slow to speak as they were being spoken to. And they must get rid of all anger and bitterness in their life. Let me read it again. Know this, my beloved brothers. The NIV says brothers and sisters, right? So know this, my beloved brothers. Sisters, you're on here too. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the meekness, with meekness, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So how do these verses help us grow in our vertical relationship with God? First, we are, we must be quick to hear the word of God, slow to insert our foolishness. 
you want to grow in your relationship with God, you need to know who he is. At this church, we don't want you to be saved into a relationship with Jesus and never know who Jesus is. That can be something that happens. You receive the good word of Jesus Christ that he died in your place for your sins, has set you free to live a life, a new life in Christ, and you can actually never meet the man. Know what he was about. Know what he said. Know what he was for or know what he was against. That's a dangerous way to live. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you need to know who he is. And this comes from reading his word. The Bible. Every Sunday we open this thing up called the Bible. There are 66 books in this collection of books. There are 66 of them. And we believe at this church, like the Bible teaches, that every single word that is in this Bible comes from the mouth of God, inspired by somebody to write it down. It was written over a span of about 1,600 years, 40 different authors, and they all point to the very same thing, salvation through Jesus Christ. From the first earliest book to the last one written, everything points to salvation through Jesus Christ. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, you should be quick to listen to what he is saying to you. And now, don't get all hyper-spiritual on me and say, well, I mean, I like to read the Bible, but I'm not a reader, right? So, um, and I'll like, what I like to do is sit in my backyard and just listen for God to speak to me. So let me warn you. You could hear whatever the bad pizza you ate last night just turned up, right? You could hear all sorts of things in your backyard. I take a nap, have a dream, wake up. I think I heard all sorts of stuff. If you want to hear from God, you must Listen to what he has already told you. It's all right here. The very words of God. If you want to grow a relationship with God, get to know who he is. Get to know who he is. When I, when I asked Sherry to marry me all those years ago, I usually say the wrong number, so I'm not going to say that number. All those years ago, I didn't know all there was to know about my wife at that moment, did I? No. I knew enough. I knew enough that allowed me to trick her into marrying me, right? That, that's what I knew. It's pretty much what I knew. But I did not know everything about my wife. So if I wanted a healthy relationship with my wife, what, sh- what should I have been doing over the last so many years? <laughs> what should I be doing? I should be getting to know her. I should be talking to her. I should actually be quick to listen to her, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's how you grow in a healthy relationship with God. So it comes by reading of his word. And James says you need to accept the word. And the reason you need to accept the word that is given to you is so you don't become foolish and angry in your pursuit in this life. Because anger will never produce the character that God desires you to have. It never will. There is no part in it. Now, not all anger is sinful. That's a very clear thing. We should be angry at sin, just so you're aware. Some people say if you're ever angry, that's sinful. That's not true. The Bible never says that. The Bible actually says do not sin when you are angry. We should be angry at the evil stuff that happens. You should do that. Be angry. Be angry when you see evil. Be angry at sin. A man named Solomon, a character in the Old Testament, he lived many years ago. He said this, a a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quickly holds back. The Bible says that if you just let it all fly, your anger and your bitterness out for everybody to see it whenever you feel like it, the Bible says you're a fool. And see, it's it's a really bad word. We don't think fool is such a bad word because we have a little more harsh ones these days. But it's a really bad word, fool. You don't want to be a fool. 
He also said this, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. God says that those who do not get angry and are able to control their emotions and slowly arrive at the right type of anger, you're actually more powerful than the mightiest person you know. You are more powerful than one who can take a whole city over by himself. If we are quick to listen to the word of God, we will be protected from living in constant anger. The, the, the quick type of anger, James says, that leads us away from the righteousness of God. Think of, think of all the rightness of God. Think of all the pureness of God. That's what that means. It'll lead us away from that. You will not grow in your relationship with God if you are quick to anger. If we take this warning seriously, we would see an increase of joy in our life. We would most certainly see an increase of faith in our life because we're listening to God, we're hearing from God, and we're accepting the word that he has given us. Let me put it this way. If you live with anger and bitterness and you struggle with that, which we all do, but if you make no attempt to slow down, an angry spirit is never a listening and is never a teaching spirit. If you have an angry spirit, you're never really going to listen and you're never going to be teachable. That's a lot of danger in there, right? Think of all the things we have to learn every single day about ourselves, about our friends, about our family, about our work. If you're angry, you're not teachable and you're not listening. Second, we, are to, we should be slow to speak. We, uh, we are to allow the word of God to shape us, okay? And God's word is meant to reshape us. If you are far from God today, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, let me tell you, that is not the way God designed you to live. God designed you, created you, to live in a perfect, right relationship with him. That's what he created you for. For this reason, James says, the word has been given to us. So if you accept the word of God, and if you follow God in that word by giving your life to Jesus Christ, if you, James says that the word has been implanted in you. It has been seated down deep in your soul within you. You have been given the word, the power, and the spirit of God. That's what you've been given as a follower of Jesus Christ. The result of that is a reviving of life, is a reshaping of life. James says it's ultimately the implanted word, it's able to save your soul. Let's say you're not a Christian here today and you're completely comfortable, which is fine. Remember, you're not going to be judged in this place, right? Because we, we didn't earn it anyway. But here's the deal. Please don't lie to yourself and say that you've never thought about the ultimate destination in which your soul is going to be in. Every religion that has ever been created by man has always been created to answer one question. What happens when we die? That's what every religion points to. That's why things like that are started. We as a people, we need to know what happens to our soul when we die. And James says the implanted word Put away all the filthiness and the wickedness and receive with humility, with meekness. If you are slow to anger, you're going to be humble and you're going to listen to the word that God has given you. Why? Because if you listen to that word, that word is able to save you. You can leave here today and search for other things that will save your soul. You will not find it. It will only let you down. It will only get you excited 
and then it'll lie to you and it'll let you down. But God is perfect in all his ways and he is a good father and he is seeking children to be a part of his kingdom. He is calling you to himself. Some of us this morning in our vertical relationship with God is non-existent. We are in desperate need of his salvation, saving us from his coming wrath. There's an old preacher that said he, he's a dying man who's, who preaches to dying men. Listen, we're all going to die. And God's judgment and wrath is real. And some of us are in desperate need to respond to the word of God today by following Jesus Christ and being saved from the wrath of God. Some of us come to church this morning, we're looking for something more. Our, our life just isn't, honestly, the way we want it to be. We don't know why we're here today. A friend drug us in. Good job, friend. We like to drag people to church. We're visiting. We've been attending. I'm not too convinced yet that what that tall guy up there says is absolutely true. Some of us are in desperate need for something more. And I can tell you, you feel that way because God created you for something more. He created you to know him intimately. He created you to be in a perfect relationship with him. So here's what you can do. If you want to grow in your relationship with God, your vertical relationship with him, or if you want to start this vertical relationship today, listen to the word of God by becoming quick to listen to the word of God. Receive the word of God by becoming slow to speak against it. And live in unity with God by becoming slow to anger. I'll end with this. Every Sunday, Here's what I hear people say. Start to end. Remember, I get like six minutes. I'll end with this. This is what I hear almost every Sunday, which actually brings joy to my, my life. I love it. They say, man, I look forward. I look so forward to coming to church every Sunday. I love that, right? I so much look forward to church. Right about like, I leave Sunday and about Wednesday or Thursday, man, my life just gets a little hairy, right? So I can't wait till Sunday. I love being here. But I don't know why. I've actually heard those exact words. I love coming to church, but I don't know why. I know why. And it's not necessarily because of the music, although they're great, or the time of prayer, although that's healthy. It's not even necessarily the people you interact with, although that's very important. It has everything to do with the word of God. The only truth you will ever hear is what you hear from the Bible or read for yourself through the Bible. These things are true. And they are for you. It is because we sing the word of God here. It is because we pray the word of God here. And it is because we teach the word of God here. That is why you like to come here. Believe me, I am never fooled. It's because of my communication style. Okay? I pray diligently all week long that I'd be faithful to tell you what God intends to tell you through what James wants to tell you, not from what my opinion says. And the reason you like coming to church or going to your home church or going wherever you're at if you're traveling here is because the word of God is there. And it's because you're surrounded by people who have come to realize they are in desperate need to hear and receive the word of God afresh every single week. Is that true? That's why we love coming to church. So why, why do I need the word of God? 
When Jesus walked the earth, there was a time when he was fasting, okay? And, and when he did this, that means he like abstained from eating food for a long period of time in order to sort of seek God's direction and guidance. So Jesus was fasting. It was after he was baptized. <clears throat> Some of you need to be baptized. After he was baptized, he fasted for 40 days. He didn't eat anything. And it was during these moments when he was tempted by the devil and the enemy to just create food for himself. The story goes at the end of 40 days and nights of not eating, the tempter, the Bible says, came to Jesus. And he says, listen, if you're the son of God, I mean, if you really are who you say you are, right? Just command those stones to become loaves of bread. You wouldn't be hungry anymore. That's all you got to do. Just go ahead. Here's how Jesus responds. Man slash women, right? Sisters. Men should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You were never created to live void of the word of God in your life. Food and water is not enough. And you know it and you can feel it. You just don't know where to go. I'm telling you, the word of God came, put on flesh. His name was Jesus. And then he died so you have access to God the Father again. Amen? Let me pray. Our Father and God, we're so thankful that you inspired your servant James to, to write these words, to give us these instructions. Father, we want our vertical relationship with you to be alive and to be growing and to be fresh. And so I ask that you would give us a renewed, a renewed passion for your word. God, give us a renewed passion to read your word and to meditate on your word and to listen to your word and, and then get excited about Sunday mornings because we know that your word is going to be present. And Father, in our horizontal relationship, we, we do ask that you would give us the patience we need to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak. God, forgive us of our arrogance and our pride when we, we need to speak first, we need to speak most often, when we always need to be right. God, we... We don't intend to damage relationships. We don't want that. So give us the power and the wisdom when we are in those moments to heed your words, to take the warning from James that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In Jesus' name, amen.